Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by, by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me take your seats. Let us come to God in prayer. Our gracious Father, as again we turn our attention to your word, believing that you have not only spoken in the past through it, but that you continue to speak to us as a father addressing his children. We pray today that you fill this room by a sense of your presence in our hearts may be open to recognize your voice, and that in ways that are individual, personal, and intimate, and as well as together and corporate. Father, I pray that we may hear the voice of our Father speaking to us afresh in his word. Lead us, I pray, to Jesus Christ, our hope. We ask this together for his name's sake, and for our good. Amen. Good morning. Nope. Good morning. (laughs) Oh, praise God for today. I am certainly going to miss this. My family for one year and almost two months. Praise God for your lives, and praise God for how you have helped me by God's grace to love the church more, and I'm thankful for you guys. Thank you, Toby. <laughs> for the past couple, couple of weeks, we have been going through a series, as what Malachi said, from a few chapters of the book of Psalms, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 90. Psalm 90. This is 
the opening chapter of the book of four, I mean, of the book four in the book of Psalms. So Psalms, the book of Psalms is divided into five parts. And this Psalm 90 is the opening of book four, and book four ends with Psalm 106. And this is probably one of the oldest, if not the oldest Psalms, based on its authorship. The chapter would tell us who wrote it. Some Psalms, they won't tell us who wrote the Psalm. But this particular chapter, it is very clear. The heading, if you have an ESV, it has a heading that says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. So this was written by Moses. And Moses was living among a people who, despite seeing God's saving power, they had been tempted to return to their old ways. They had been tempted to return to their own timetable. And though Moses did not spell out really clearly the occasion when this is written, but there is a period in their lives that seems to be very relevant to this text. And the period, and that period was when God promised them a new land, the promised land. And when they were about to enter that promised land, so they sent out spies, and ten of them came back and said, nope, let's not do it. We can't do it. There are giants over there. We're going to get ourselves killed. And because of their disobedience and unbelief, God caused them to wander in the desert for four decades. And the result of that, God's verdict was for the vast majority of the Israelites to die in the wilderness. Like people or everybody who is at the age of 20 and above will die in that wilderness because of their this disobedience to God. Now, it is in this context that Moses prayed, O Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days in light of who you are and in light of who we are because we are a forgetful people. We forget who you are. We forget who we are. We forget what you've done to us. In essence, Moses was praying to God, God, recalibrate our lives so that we may live according to your sovereign plan. Now, I am paraphrasing based on the context of this text. Now, this morning, we will get to overhear Moses, the man of God, addresses God and prays this divinely inspired prayer to God. Are you guys excited? I hope so. If you are a note taker, the big idea for today, Malachi already said it, it's this, the eternal God is every ephemeral man's hope to live each day with eternal significance. Again, the eternal God is every ephemeral man's hope to live each day with eternal significance. And I would just like to share three points to all of you today to help us better understand the text. I have divided the text into three parts. First, we're going to look at the eternality of God and the ephemerality of man. You're like, Japhet, what is ephemerality? It's just the synonym of temporal or transient. I just want to use fancy word because you guys are fancy. <laughs> Especially Toby. 
Second, I want us all to look at the wrath of God, which caused our ephemeralities. There we go again. Which caused our temporality. And the last that we're going to look at is the mercy of God, which is our hope and answer to our temporality. Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses begins his prayer contemplating on the eternal nature of God. From everlasting to everlasting. Notice, he did not say from the past to the future. He said from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He acknowledged that God is eternal. He has revealed himself to be self-existent without beginning and without an end. Moses knew this better than anyone following his burning bush experience where God introduced himself to him as, I am who I am. Now, on the get-go of Moses' prayer, we have this deep theological truth about God's self-existence. And I was almost lost from reading this. Like, okay, Moses, really? From the get-go of your prayer, you talk about the self-existence of God? I think I might need some help on this one. Thankfully, last month, I was going through the book of, that's called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul with my dear brothers John and Lee. And Sproul talked so clearly about the self-existence and eternality of God in the first chapter of that book. And so I'm going to quote him today. This is not, or these are not my words, but Sproul's words. He says, He alone is self-existent. God is the only one who can say, I am who I am. The grand difference between a human being and a supreme being is precisely this. Apart from God, I cannot exist. Apart from me, God does exist. God does not need me in order for him to be. I need God in order for me to be. To say that God is self-existent simply means that there was no time that God started to exist because he has always existed. He is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He is independent, self-sufficient, and a secure God. And God and God alone has the power of being within himself. He is who he is. That God is self-existent means that he is unique, that he alone is eternal. And Moses knows this. He acknowledges God's eternality. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God on his prayer. And this eternal God that he identifies and that he addresses here has also been his dwelling place, has also been their dwelling place in all generations. 
So this self-existent, transcendent God who is dependent on no one and doesn't need anyone is not indifferent to mankind. In fact, he was personal and intentional, revealing himself as he has done in the past with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses was able to say, you, the everlasting God, Yahweh, you are our dwelling place. Moses knew from experience the greatness of God, the eternality of God, and he also knew from experience, experience the nearness of God. Think about how significant this is for Moses. He didn't have any permanent address. He was a nomad, right? His track record would tell us that during his infancy, his shelter was a basket floating down the Nile River. And then he went and got adopted into the Pharaoh's court, and then he spent 40 years in the wilderness. He actually did not have any permanent place, and yet, in the end, he was able to say, God, you are my dwelling place. And towards the end of his life, he was able to bless the people who's going to recite this prayer in thinking that it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we're going through. God is our dwelling place. It is in God that we have our being. It is in God that we live and we move and we have our being no matter where in this cycle of life we are. We always find our home in God. This is encouragement for us. This is an encouragement for us today that God is our home. Whether you stay in a scorching hot phoenix, it's like close to sun, or a beautiful place that is the Philippines, you guys should go. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. God is our home. I had a chance to um, tour or cruise around North Myrtle Beach. It was a waterway. And I was just looking at the houses, and I'm like, wow, these are beautiful. And I was just reflecting on Psalm 90, and I just laughed. And I'm like, those are fleeting. Those are temporary. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I, we are thankful to God for our homes. But our shelters today will not last forever. God is our dwelling place, and He doesn't change. Amen? Are you thankful that God does not change? Everything will pass away. We don't have a continuing shelter here, but He is an everlasting shelter for everyone who believes in Christ. God is the answer to our transience. Now, notice after this opening address in relation to and his eternality, Moses makes a series of comparison and contrast that are meant to impress upon the reader the difference between the greatness of an eternal God and the fragility of humanity. Verses 3 to 6, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with flood, 
They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. But in the evening, it fades and withers. Verses 3 to 6 are not flattering verses, aren't they? They're kind of like sobering. You know, I was reading this, I was like, Moses prayed this, and I can't imagine the context when he was praying this. He, th- his reality was that people were dying. His reality was like people are disobeying God. And he laments on that. And he wants the people who reads and recites his prayer to also lament on that. And then he goes on after he described who God is, he went on to describe our frugality, our temporality. You return man to dust. He also in these verses acknowledges God's sovereignty over his creature. God is sovereign and he can make us subject to death. Which he did because of our sins. So that, there's the initial reminder that we are subject to God. But unlike God, our future involves a returning to dust. From dust to dust. And our thousand years, the thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Who can guess who the oldest person in the Bible was? That's why you go to Sunday schools. Who was it? I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> Methuselah, 969. But even a thousand years is so brief in comparison to an eternal God. It is but yesterday, or as a watch in the night that would somehow be three hours. Now, I told Malachi I'm going to read John Calvin, although it has some you know, harsh words in it. So just a disclaimer, if you, hear, if you hear a harsh word, know that it wasn't from me, it was from John Calvin. He made a strong comment on this verse. He says, Though we are aware of the fleetingness of life, we remain unimpressed because in our stupidity, there you go, harsh word, we remain bound to a transient existence as if we could live for 2,000 years. I remember when I was younger, when I was a little bit wilder, just a little bit, and restless, just a little bit, not yet reformed, but <laughs> when I go to church and I see these old men reading the Word of God, very serious about their walk, their Christianity, I remember telling myself, oh, I'm just going to wait until the time that I'm going to get to their age, and I'm going to get serious with my walk with the Lord. How foolish was I to think that my tomorrow was a guarantee? How foolish was I to think that a long life is something that is guaranteed to me? I was foolish to think that way. That's why Moses was trying to elevate our thoughts to the thinking that God is eternal, and in comparison to his eternality, we are not. We are temporal. The minds of those who imagine they are guaranteed a long life are in a state of foolishness. James says, Malachi read it, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We are but a vapor. Huh, that is sobering. So Moses intentionally and strategically employs these metaphors in rapid succession to impress upon those who would recite this and to, as an extension to us that we are frail human beings who has limits, who has limited lives. Our lives are short and brief, and we need to understand that. What you want to notice is that he actually devotes more content to our frailty than he does the eternality of God. Why? Because people need to be reminded that they are temporary, that they're temporal, because we are vulnerable to ignoring this harsh reality. I don't want to talk about death. I don't want to talk about how short life is. I am enjoying my life. Things are going well with me. We are vulnerable to forgetting that our lives have end and short. Every advance in medicine where, we'll thank, where we are thankful for them, we're thankful to God for the grace of the medicine, but every advance of it in maybe diet and exercise seems to just reinforce the illusion that death is being postponed or maybe not even waiting for us at the end. Death stands almost boastingly at the end of the corridor of our lives. And we need to understand that. Moses, again, begins his prayer contemplating on the eternality of God, and then he just abruptly transitions to man's frailty in comparison to God, that God is eternal, you and I are not, that human life is brief, that death is certain, the reader is to be humbled, And the reader has to be soberly reminded to not lose sight of these theological truths. Friends, a false view of God and a false view of life, the brevity of it, a false view of death, how certain it is, would lead to a wasted life. And that's what Moses is aiming at in this prayer. We are not to waste our life. And then he went on to describe what causes death. Why is there death? Verses 7 through 11 reads, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the, fo- to the power of you or the fear of you? Moses outlines the relationship between Death, sin, and the wrath of God. 
Remember, Moses has witnessed the sin that kept an entire generation from the land of promise. He's been to many funerals. And he's probably conducted like hundreds of thousands of them or millions of them. Now, these verses from 7 through 11, these are filled again with harsh realities. Sometimes we are tempted to just look away. Moses seems to acknowledge that every single human being will be tempted to look away from understanding God's wrath. Verse 11, have you noticed? He asked a rhetorical question. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That's because we are reluctant to consider this. But it would not serve us well if we look away. Moses is insisting that we make an eye-to-eye contact with death, sin, and the wrath of God, that we have to understand them for what they are. And here Moses informs us of the theological reasons for the brevity of life and the certainty of death. Why do we die? Death is no accident. Or death is not just simply an unpleasant natural phenomenon. Moses in this text, in the scripture, is clear that death is God's just punishment for sin. So we are all subject to death. After Adam and Eve sinned, their lives became limited. They would soon face death. De Carson writes, But why death? Death is God's limit for creatures whose sin is they want to be gods. We are not gods. And by death, we learn that we are only humans. Death is God's determination to limit our arrogance. Moses is informing us that the greatest problem really is not death, but it's sin. Our greatest problem is sin, and Moses is insisting that those who overhear and recite this prayer must pay close attention to the reality of sin and God's hatred against sin. God hates sin. And because of our sin, we are under the righteous judgment of God. Because of our sins, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. Do you know the reference? Jonathan Edwards? It was like one of the first articles I read when I got in here. It was heavy. It was filled with truth. but It was sobering. I advise you to read it if you have time. Verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Again, this is a sobering statement in the prayer of Moses. Japheth, why are you so heavy, man? I just want to make you sad. I'm leaving. (laughs) Well, the truth is, this is a sobering statement for all of us today as well. Moses understood that nothing is ever hidden from God. Nothing. That he is an omniscient God who knows everything and that our sin is subject to his righteous judgment. See, sometimes we think we can hide things from God. 
Maybe we think that we can keep doing the dishonoring things we do just because nobody sees it or that we have never been caught doing it. You know, how foolish are we to think that way? How foolish are we to think that we can hide anything or something from God? Brothers and sisters, you think your sins may have been kept well from the people around you, but not from God. Moses is clear as well in the scripture that our secret sins will be brought out in the light of his presence. Romans 2 speaks about God's righteous judgment. It says that on that day, God's judgment will be revealed and he will render to each one according to his works. The works that we do in secret will be brought out to light on that day. Brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you profess that you are in Christ and yet you find yourself stumbling over and over again on these secret sins or things that you do in hiding, friends, I encourage you to repent from that sin and run to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Know that his promise The promise of his word says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness if we confess our sins to God. Don't go on hiding. Repent from your sins. And I would also like to encourage you that if it it is a struggle for you, if you feel a lot of shame by confessing your sins, or coming out of the open with your sins? Talk to your brothers and sisters. Talk to the people you can trust who would lead you to Christ for repentance. James says that if we confess our sins to one another, we will be healed. So brother, don't leave today or spend the rest of the days Repenting from your sins and coming out of the open with your sins. Verse 9. You guys don't mind if I preach for, preach for two hours, right? I'm sorry. For those who are first-timers, first I'm only speaking for one hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> Verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Think about this. Moses, as, he, as he's ponders upon a situation and people, the people around him or, or every one of them is under the wrath of God and they came to face to face with death, their lives have been meaningless. They were like, it's a sigh, it was nothing, there was nothing worth it with how we lived our lives. And Moses laments on the fact that it was their reality. Their lives were but a vapor. 70, 80, and Mike gave me an idea to count my remaining days. So if 70 and 80 is like two, I think I have 14,000, almost 14,000 days left. And that's not long. 14,000 days, I can still remember the first day I got in here. It's about three, 420 days already. Remember, I was sitting back there at a Sunday morning, crying because I missed church. And then now I'm almost home, going back to my church. 
I'm not going to cry this time. But I'm going to miss you guys. I have 14,000 days left, and that is, again, short, and time flies really fast. Our days are few, that is a given reality. Why? Because of sin, and because of God's righteous judgment on sin. This is what Moses was trying to get across in these metaphors. He was serious about sin. He was serious about death. He was serious about God's wrath because God is serious about sin, about death, and about his wrath. But the question to ask then is this. How can then we be spared from this wrath? It sounds horrific. How can we be spared from this wrath? What is our hope in this life and the next? The one thing I really love about Trinity Bible Church, this is not to advertise to those first-timers, but one thing that I love about Trinity Bible Church is that our teachers and preachers never shy away from telling the whole gospel. By whole gospel, I mean it would always include death, sin, and wrath. And on the other end of the spectrum, it would also include God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness in Christ, which I found very necessary. I found it necessary to teach and preach about sin, death, and wrath. Why? Because that makes the gospel, to me, more magnificent. Not that it is not in and of itself magnificent already, but it would always get me into my knees in awe of how gracious God is when I understand how sinful I am. That is pretty necessary. The only hope that we have to be spared from the wrath of God is God himself. In the person and the work of the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. Friends, the worst thing that could ever happen to us is at the end of our lives, we are still subject to God's wrath. On the day of judgment, our only hope is to be hidden in Christ, who has absorbed the wrath of God on that cross and whose sacrifice pleased the Father. On that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Praise God. He is our hope. And very briefly, running out of time here, verses 12 to 17 talks about the mercy of God as the answer to our temporality. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God, teach us to number our days. This is the most appropriate response to the eternal God who has become the dwelling place or refuge for everybody who has been saved from God's wrath by God through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross. This is the appropriate prayer to pray again to the eternal God who has become our dwelling place and who actually dwells in us. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Because of the personal work of Christ, in light 
of the eternality of God and in light of the certainty of death? Teach us, God. Teach us to number our days. Let me ask you, when was the last time you numbered your remaining days? When was the last time you have given careful thought and attention in thinking about how many days you might have left to live? First, numbering our days is to live each day aware of that, aware of our lives that are fleeting, aware of who God is, aware of who we are, and aware of what we need in this life. How does this look to you? Does this look like watching Netflix all day long? Does this look like indulging into temporary happiness that social media can give? I hope so not, because I don't think so. That's what Moses is trying to say. What Moses was asking is that they would be wary on things that would glorify God. And so we ask the same thing. We pray to God that that God would keep our perspectives grounded on the knowledge, again, of who He is, who we are, that we may seek His mercy and grace for us to grow in holiness and godliness. Return, O Lord. Moses' honest and humble plea. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. After acknowledging that God is their dwelling place, isn't it ironic that Moses was asking God to return? He started off by saying, God is their dwelling place. And here he was like, return, O Lord. Come back to us. He acknowledged that their sin has caused God to somehow turn his back on them. That the presence of sin around them seems to be diminishing the presence of God among them. And so Moses is pleading for mercy that God would return to them. So there is one other place in history that God has turned his face away because of sin. At the cross, when Christ became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, God had to turn his face away from his beloved son that the promise of salvation will be fulfilled. The death of Christ reconciled us back to God and him to us. He has returned to us, not because of who we are and not because of what we have done, but it was because, or it is because, of what Christ has done for us. And praise Jesus for that. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Satisfy us, he said in verse 14, with your steadfast love. Moses was ready to receive or to face a new day. Each morning comes with a promise of mercy from God because His mercies are new every morning. So great is thy faithfulness. There was nothing more important to Moses 
And there was nothing that could ever satisfy him or them and could make them glad in the midst of death and sufferings but the steadfast and changing love of the steadfast and unchanging God. And then Moses prayed. He ended up his prayer with with a prayer for God to show his favor upon them. Moses prayed that God's work will be shown to them and his favor to be upon them to establish the works of their hands. He recognized that apart from God's mercy and favor, they will never be able to please God. They will never be able to please him. That apart from the mercy and the favor of God, the work of their hands would remain meaningless and without eternal significance. God is merciful. He answered this prayer of Moses, although not at his time. We know that after the wandering for 40 years, God has led them into the promised land. But this also points us to an even glorious answer in Christ. When the power of God for salvation was shown at the cross, that those who believe in Christ and repent from their sins will find their dwelling place, their refuge in Christ, in God, on the day of judgment, that they will find favor in the eyes of God because of Christ or Christ's imputed righteousness to them. And so when he was asking God to establish the works of thy hands, he was depending on God's favor to do that for them. And so that everything that they do will be glorifying to to God and edifying to them and will be fruitful. Friends, in closing, to live a life with eternal significance, to not waste away our lives and to get a heart of wisdom, it is important for us to understand the very nature of God that is eternal. And live each day acknowledging as well that God is eternal and we are not. And and that because of our sins, we are subject to his wrath. But do not end with that. To get a heart of wisdom is also to acknowledge that we need mercy from God because he is the answer to our sinfulness. Really, friends, to live a life with eternal significance or to get a heart of wisdom is to know Christ and to live in him and for him. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you want to know Christ or something in you has been stirred up just hearing about God's wrath and hearing about how sinful and fleeting this life is, Friends, I encourage you to not go out of this room not talking to anybody of us here. Talk to us on how to know Christ. Talk to us on how to have a relationship with him so that on that day, you and I will be spared from his judgment and will enjoy him forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for Moses, for writing this prayer to you.
He is eternal God. Thank you that through your word you have reminded us of your self-existence, that you are eternal, that you are our dwelling place. And Father, we thank you that through your word you have also reminded us of how fleeting our life is. That death is certain. It is unavoidable. But we thank you all the more for reminding us through your word that you are our answer. We need your mercy, God. We need your favor for us to be spared from your wrath and to establish the work of our hands. God, we pray as you teach us each day to number our days and live our lives in light of who you are. It's all I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. Let's stand together.